0: Welcome to the DILF Podcast, as in Dad, I'd Like to Friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden, and if this is your first time joining us, don't forget to subscribe, and for more info on the podcast, check us out on Instagram, at DILF Podcast. As of late, we've often discussed the struggles and triumphs that come from being locked together with our family under the same roof, like it's a burden that was thrust upon us. But not everyone has the luxury of having their children living with them under the same roof. Today, we flip the script and explore one man's choice to become a father and the untraditional path as a gay man that led him to parenthood. David, welcome to the DILF podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I am very excited about this episode. I feel like we have yet to talk about the gay experience in parenting and yours is a very unique experience. And I'd love if you could just give a little professional background, as well as dive a bit into how you came to be a father.
1: Well, as it happens, those things are very uh, linked (laughs) in my experience. So I, about uh, six years ago, had two of my very good friends, a lesbian couple, approach me about becoming their known sperm donor, which is something that threw me for a complete loop. I had not expected it. I had no plans to become a father myself. And I spent about six months thinking about it and stressing about it, (laughs) literally talking to everyone I knew about it. Um, and ultimately decided it was something I wanted to do to help these very good friends of mine start their family. And then in the process of getting pregnant, we were coming up against all sort of barriers and challenges that you know, I was looking for some sort of resources for online, both for, for them and for me, to just kind of get some sort of perspective as to what it was like for other gay men to become a known donor. And there really was just nothing. I couldn't find many resources at all. And the resources I could find were... Usually, these horror stories of like friends suing each other, or, you know, people absconding with babies afterwards. And so I couldn't find an example of a known donor arrangement that didn't end in a lawsuit. Um, I was pretty sure that wasn't going to happen for us. So I, I started writing about it for the New York Times in a weekly column leading up to the birth of my daughter. And through that, I ended up writing more about just LGBT parenting more generally for a site called Gays with Kids that is dedicated to helping gay, bi, and trans men navigate everything related to fatherhood.
0: It's kind of the leading site for gay parents. I feel like it has quite a big following.
1: It does, yes. I mean, we launched uh, six years ago, and it's it's grown into quite a force. We actually just relaunched the website with all sorts of new resources that are meant to help people navigate the, the very complicated process of becoming a father as a gay, bi, or trans man. The options typically being through surrogacy, through adoption or foster care, or my kind of a co-parenting arrangement. So I encourage anyone listening that is a gay buyer, trans man, to check it out because we have a lot of great resources that we're rolling out over the next um, couple of months.
0: And even if you're not, it's, a, it's a actually a really fascinating site. They have a whole Becoming section on dads-to-be and research. Uh, so, you know, it's specifically targeting the LGBTQ community. But I think for those looking for untraditional paths to parenthood, I still think it's a, a very fascinating site. And then there's a Being section for those that are presently fathers. It's a great, great uh, resource.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And I would echo that. It definitely is obviously plenty of straight parents are starting to become uh, parents through these means as well. So these resources are definitely useful for you as well, if you're thinking about any of these paths the parenthood.
0: And so what is so intriguing about your story is we've heard, especially through the media and growing up, we've, we've heard tons of stories of, of surrogacy and of a woman lending an egg and carrying a baby for two gay dads, or a man giving sperm to two women, you know, lesbians who want to become moms. But your story is fascinating. It seems to be something that's more trending in modern times is you are actually a co-parent and you are actively involved in your children's lives. And you actually have three children with your two friends now, correct?
1: Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. So it is something that evolved I, I think our original arrangement when we first started talking about this before I'd even agreed to become a donor for them we thought that I would be much less involved than I am I think uh, you know talking about all of this in the abstract it can be a little scary honestly you need to really have a strong basis of trust and connection with people that you do this with because there the laws really have not caught up to modern parenting uh, for LGBT people in a lot of ways. And if you want to, you can you know, make each other's lives very difficult <laughs> around you know, issues of uh, parentage and uh, just legal ties to, to, to children. Fortunately, that has not been a problem for me and my friends at all. Um, but it is something that you need to keep in mind if you're considering this path to parenthood. And uh, yeah, so I would say it is uh, something that is becoming more and more common in the LGBTQ community and actually outside of the queer community as well. It's are whole website's now dedicated to helping people that are interested in pursuing this to find a known donor online, to find a known egg donor. And part of the reason for that is that the research around doing anonymous sperm and egg donation is really suggesting that it is better for everyone involved to know the uh, for your child to know the connection to their biological roots for any number of reasons. So the, the trend really is in you know straight and LGBTQ situations around this sort of uh, parenting path towards just involving the donor as much as, as the arrangement calls for him. Uh, There's many different ways to do it, but to just make sure that there is some sort of a, a, a connection there.
0: Uh, you, you even mentioned in our, our pre-interview that there are sites now where singles, straight singles, can find potential co-parents to have a kid with when they're yeah. not romantically linked.
1: That's exactly right. So they honestly, the, the sites aren't really, they don't tend to uh, gear towards the queer or straight community. It's uh, really just anyone that, you know, if you want to co-parent with someone in a non-romantic way, there are whole sites that you can create a profile. It's basically like a dating site <laughs> and you can meet people um, remotely to to hash it out and see if you can make it work. So it's, it's an interesting kind of trend in, in parenting that it is something that I think we're seeing more and more examples of over time and, and, and some really great examples of it that are, are flourishing. And and it's something that I think if people are interested in, they should definitely look into.
0: I think it's a beautiful thing because we see so many families where kids are neglected or the parents just aren't happy. And it's, it's a wonderful thing, regardless if it's romantic or not, to be able to see people working together to raise children in love. And I think that that is something that we can all aspire to no matter our sexual preference.
1: Absolutely. We, we say this a lot in LGBTQ parenting circles, that, that this isn't something that obviously everyone agrees with. And there are some um, conservative forces out there that think that LGBTQ people shouldn't be parents. But the funny thing is we have to work so hard <laughs> to become parents that there's never an instance where you know there's a an accident for LGBTQ people to become parents. They work so hard to do it, so you know that they want to do it, and you know that they're going to be giving nothing but love to that child when they actually succeed in becoming
0: a parent. When you work that hard for something. Exactly. Now, what's very interesting about your personal story is I find similarities in the fact that we, my wife and I struggled to get pregnant. And when we did finally get pregnant, I just thought it would be this cathartic, beautiful experience. And when the baby was born, anyone who listens to this podcast knows it was a a tough pregnancy. It was a tough birth. It It was hard when the baby came out. And it was very lonely being a dad when the baby first arrived. And then when I decided to take an extended paternity leave, there weren't many resources. And I feel like that's one of the reasons I created this podcast was to create resources and bring together resources for other dads. And I feel like you kind of similarly went through an experience and then started to create the resources for others who might be on a similar journey. And I'm curious to know, what was that like kind of being a trailblazer in working with the New York Times and working with gays with kids and and documenting your experience?
1: Yeah, it definitely wasn't something I thought I was going to end up doing this. (laughs) If you were to ask me, you know, six years ago that I would be like the editor in chief of a gay parenting blog, I would have uh, laughed in your face. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's something that's interesting for, you know, basically everyone in my life that this is kind of the professional way that my career has gone as well. And it, but it really was, it was you know, like I was saying earlier, trying to find just any sort of positive example of a known donor arrangement that had gone smoothly. Um, it really didn't exist. I couldn't find anything online. I didn't know anyone else that had done anything similar to this. And so I, I didn't know, for sure that my situation was going to end up being a positive example, but I was pretty sure it was going to. So it just made sense to me to start writing, you know, in my New York Times column, uh, which is called the Sperm Donor Diaries, really is just their personal essays. So they, I didn't even think of them necessarily as resources, but they were just, you know, kind of chronicling my experience, uh, everything going through my head leading up to the birth of my first daughter and, uh, you know, the the good, the bad and the ugly. And they've turned into resources for a lot of other gay men who are approached by lesbian friends to donate. And it's, it's something that's happening with more and more frequency. I cannot count the number of conversations I've had with friends who have been asked, with friends of friends, with people that find my columns online and reach out. It really is a much more common thing than I think people realize. <laughs> those don't often end up in a yes at the end. So, you know, a lot of people go through weighing the pros and cons and realize that this isn't something that they do want to do. But just those conversations are happening in the LGBT community far more often than I think people think they are. And again, like I would say, they're they're also starting to spill into straight relationships
0: as well. And I feel like with your personal experience, it's a fascinating thing because you never really had dreams of being a father. So when your two friends asked you to help them Along with their experience, i'm curious to know how how your belief system and lifestyle has shifted since you have become a father and have made the choice to be more actively involved in your children 's lives
1: yeah, no, it uh, definitely threw me for a loop. I had no indication that they were going to ask me <laughs> the look of shock on my face. they say they wish they had a camera on me, so they could play it back for me um <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, like like I said, I did take a long time to think about it. It's not a decision I made lightly. I took six months to really think through what this would mean for me. even at the time, we didn't think that I would be quite as involved as I end up being but i I knew that at the end of this there were gonna be humans that I would be contributing in, uh, into bringing into the world that would eventually be curious about me want to know me and, and was I gonna be okay with having some sort of connection with them and uh you know so that was the first part of my decision. I ultimately decided that. These are good enough friends of mine that, however they became parents, I was going to be closely involved with their their children and their families. So why not, you know, kind of dive in with them? <laughs> but uh, but then I had to really think through what this meant for my family. I have I have three brothers. I'm the only one that has had kids. And, you know, I knew that my parents would be very, very interested in uh, the fact that I, you know, their gay son, who they didn't think they were ever going to get grandkids out of, was going to be doing this. And so I really needed their sign on to be okay with becoming grandparents in this kind of unorthodox way. You know, they, they can't just show up whenever they want to. They can't, uh, you know, call whenever they want to, you know, they, it's, it's a little bit, um, they're legitimate grandparents. We want, we do everything we can to make them feel that way, but they are grandparents removed in some ways. And, and it's, uh, it's something that hasn't ended up being a problem as it turns out, but it's, you know, I, I had to have some, you know, pretty deep, long conversations with members of my family.
0: I feel like you didn't have to do that, but the fact that you did is, is pretty cool of you.
1: Yeah. It just, it would have been like, if I had just, you know, never told them and you know, I did have some people in my life at the time that were like, why even, you know, they don't need to know. <laughs> so my, my family would literally kill me. So, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, especially if you wanted to be actively involved, exactly. you know, I feel like, and your brothers are straight.
1: Yes, my and straight, you and the older older kids. Ah, uh, yeah. My my older brother is uh, married uh, and has a stepson, uh, but other than that, but yeah, everyone else is um, childless. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just fascinating our world and the way our lives go. Yeah. You know, you never know how they're going to turn. Exactly. I'm I'm really curious to know. So. As I mentioned earlier, one of the big reasons for creating this podcast was because I felt such a lack of support network, and I wanted to kind of build a resource and and kind of build my own support network, but also find if others were feeling a similar way about their experience. And I have found from doing the podcast thus far that fathers seem to often feel unwanted and are often treated suspiciously in public parenting areas, Mm -hmm. and and. In those spaces, it's confusing for dads. And I assume it's the same for you, especially as a gay dad, but on top of that, to be the third part of a co-parenting relationship.
1: Yeah, it is uh, It is a difficult thing sometimes to find people that can relate <laughs> to this uh crazy decision I've made. And, uh, you know, I am lucky in that I, because this has become my profession to to write about this and to build a community of uh, gay, bi, and trans fathers and people interested in being fathers. I, you know, I found people all over the country, all over the world that have done similar things to me that uh, have a a similar experience. And, uh, and also just the, the experience of building a community. So we have a very active Instagram page, for instance, that uh, all it does is feature smiling, happy, gay and by trans men with their kids, these beautiful photos, but it's become such an important feature for the community that we're building to be able to see ourselves reflected. So, you know, it's like hundreds and hundreds of men that have a similar experience to to us uh, and to know that you're not alone and that there are other people that have gone through the experience that you have to become a parent. And to, besides my path to parenthood, which has its own complications and it is something I try to make sure that I have a community of people that have gone through a similar experience but no matter how you become a gay, bi, or trans father, there's always going to be complications and barriers involved. There's always a story behind it. The process of doing surrogacy, adoption, foster care, if you were married and in a straight relationship previously and had kids that way, there's ne- it's never just a whoops were dads <laughs> situation. So there's always, always, always complications and barriers, and, uh, and it can be a very lonely, isolating process for a lot of queer men. And so before Gays With Kids existed, there really wasn't a central place for this sort of stuff to live. And so we're, we're very excited to be providing it and to uh, be encouraging other people to see it. One of the things we hear from people in our community all of the time that I'm most proud of is from other queer men that they never thought that they could be a father until they saw our site, that they, they didn't think it was in the cards for them for any number of reasons. And that just seeing our Instagram, seeing our website, uh, seeing positive examples of queer fatherhood has helped them realize that, you know, it really is possible for anyone that wants it.
0: That's beautiful. I also love that your site helps parents who are dealing with children who are kind of entering the LGBT community. You have a beautiful article on Dwayne Wade and, and what's the wife's name? Gabrielle Union, yep. who whose son came out as as trans, their daughter in in essence. And Dwayne Wade said to his daughter in response, you are a leader and it is our opportunity to allow you to be a voice. And I feel like you you wouldn't necessarily hear that story in traditional media. And it's a beautiful thing that you're celebrating those stories too, with straight parents who yeah. are who are going through struggles and and coming out on the other end.
1: Oh, it's so important, and especially seeing a major basketball player and a major actress embracing not just a, a gay child, but a trans child. Uh, it's, it's really is shocking sometimes to think about how far we've come in the LGBT community and our allies, like that there really is a place for people that are LGBTQ and want to be parents and want to raise kids that are openly you know, who they are. It's a beautiful thing.
0: I mean, I think it touches on masculinity in a beautiful way, and that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. I don't really like the term toxic masculinity. I feel like it brings about a lot of shame to people who don't even realize they're doing something negative. You know, it has to do with their upbringing and and various aspects of of our culture. I, I like mm-hmm. the positive reinforcement of true masculinity, and uh, and I feel like th- Dwayne Wade did a beautiful job at exemplifying true masculinity by being so supportive and vocalizing his opinions publicly about his his daughter's experience and i'm curious to know how you feel representing masculinity in essence to your three children even though they're being raised by or they're, they're rather being they live with their two moms you're obviously a part of of raising them there hasn't been an immense amount of media portrayals that emphasize fathers as co-parents, let alone gays as parents. And I'm just curious to know how you see that shifting, and and how you see masculinity as, as as a part of all of that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I I would say <laughs> it's kind of funny because I think that um, looking at my friends and me, so you know, I my friends Tori and Kelly, the moms in some ways you would say are more traditionally masculine than I am. (laughs) They love sports. They, you know, they love beer and, you know, and I'm like sipping my red wine and play the piano and love Broadway. You know, there's like, there's, we don't really represent the traditional sorts of uh, gender roles that you would see in parents. And so for anyone that thinks that two lesbians in a, gay men raising kids are going to, you know, impart some sort of negative, like try to turn kids into being a certain way or uh, against their traditional gender roles. It's uh, our kids could not be more gender normative.
0: <laughs> but hey, my wife is all about sports and beer, and I'm more about fruity sorority girl drinks. Right, right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't really matter your sexual preference. And and most importantly, I really don't think it, it makes a statement on true masculinity.
1: No, absolutely not. It does. Absolutely but I, I think just the fear of gay parenthood that many people have is that two men raising kids or two women raising kids, you know, the lack of having a, a permanent fixture of, uh, of a gender involved in the kids' lives is going to negatively impact the kids in some way. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's no research that backs that up. And there's and we're definitely not seeing that in, in our experience either. It might have been something that worried us at first, uh, but just... You know, now that we're three kids in, and and they're all happy and healthy and living their lives and are who they are, it's not been it's not been something that's uh, proved a problem for us.
0: And what are the the differences and some of the similarities between your involvement with the kids and and your co-parents relationship with the kids?
1: Uh, so you know, I I am much more involved than any of us thought I would be. But uh, you know, upfront we made decisions along the lines of, I am not a decision maker. Um, they consult me, uh, you know, often um, about certain decisions they want to make, but ultimately the, the decision is theirs. And, you know, they are open for me to play that role. They are, they, I don't really discipline the kids in the way that they do. So it opens up this kind of room for me to just come up and really to be with them and to, to hang with them. Our, our roles are very different in that way. But, you know, that said, I, I am very involved. It's, it's turned into a really... Great positive thing for all of us, uh, despite our many, many fears. <laughs> the outset,
0: and how we discussed that you with quarantine, this is kind of the longest you've ever gone without seeing them. And although you you, you you've kind of created a version of a co parenting relationship, and they're more kind of actively involved on a day to day basis, I'm curious to know emotionally what it's like for you. Uh, which I'm sure many dads who are separated or divorced and and not the main parent can probably relate to. What is it like when you spend the weekend with your three kids and then you kind of go back to your other life? Is it hard to put on that other hat?
1: Oh, it can be very hard. (laughs) It's always a little bit of a culture shock, honestly, to go from, you know, I live my life as a single gay man in New York. Uh, Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of limitations to, um, you know, living any sort of a life right now <laughs> what with quarantine yeah. in place uh but you know in normal times you know going up and spending i mean as any parent knows it's an you know i go from uh you know on the weekend getting up when i want to and going to bed when i want to and you know um uh, eating dinner when i want to 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 when i'm up with the kids it's this very regimented um schedule and you know it's exhausting and a running you know and i and i'm up there you know Pretty frequently, but when I am up there I' you know I try to be as on as I can and as involved as I can so it is a very draining weekend for me whenever whenever I'm up there in the best possible way but by the end of it I'm exhausted and then when I you know come back and try to transition back into life as a you know single gay man and seeing friends and dates and all that it can be uh, it could be a little bit of a, a hard mental switch at times so to your point about not being able to so we made the difficult decision at the beginning of quarantine for me to uh, yeah this was like peak april when the pandemic was uh, raging in new york and so you know we decided that i should stay put and they should stay put in connecticut where they live and you know the longest i had gone before seeing them might have been a month tops um and so this turned into four months of, of not seeing them and that was you know FaceTime is not the same. Uh, Zoom calls are not the same. And uh, and I know that, uh, and I had that on my mind a lot, that I know a lot of parents of, of divorce have had to make similar decisions that were really difficult. And so, you know, there's been all of this focus during the pandemic on how exhausting it's been for, for parents to be homeschooling and, and try to balance work with, with uh, parenting. And I have, you know, I'm 100% sure that that's true, but much less talked about is the impact it's had on parents like uh, like me and by like another co-parents um, that are in a similar situation of uh, not being able to see the kids at all so it, it was not an easy process but at least now we're in this moment in the northeast where uh the virus is um calming down so we feel more comfortable interacting so i've, I've been able to get there several times this summer which has been rejuvenating and, and great and but you know it's great like four months you know these kids are my kids are six five and one and a half they change light years and you know in four months it's it it was they were like three completely new humans when i got up there so it's a uh, you know, it's, that isn't, uh, it wasn't an
0: easy thing for sure. It's fascinating because I, I, I've talked about this before about sometimes this is pre-quarantine, you know, my son will be screaming and having some kind of a fit and I just want to get him down for a nap and please can I get a break? And especially during that year of paternity leave. Uh, and then you get, you get him down for a nap and then you have a break and then right before the nap, always, it's, it's very like sweet and loving and hug and mm-hmm. like <laughs> split personality. And uh, and then I finally get him down for a nap. And then 10 minutes later, I have the a moment to myself and I miss him. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and, I, yeah. and I feel like we one of the hardest struggles with quarantine is we have a lot of parents complaining about balance. And I, I too have, I, I love my son. He is one of the closest people to me in my life. And he's not even two, so I don't know what that says about me. But <laughs> I I feel like as as difficult as it is to feel like when I'm working, I want to be with him. And when I'm with him, I feel I'm thinking about my to-do list. And it's, it's a really hard thing. I would imagine that we, we are very obnoxiously not taking in the gratitude of the fact that at least we have our kid there. Yeah. And I think that so many of us are not appreciating that. And I think your story is a beautiful way of reminding us that it's very difficult to be all locked together. Right. But there should be gratitude with that as well.
1: Absolutely. It's also interesting to think about the, again, the paths that are available to gay, by and trans men to become fathers via surrogacy, adoption, and foster care. These are all paths that have been disrupted by what's going on right now, the quarantines, the lockdowns. It's not easy to pursue these anymore. So, you know, people that have had dreams of fatherhood that were in the middle of of doing it or trying to get it started are now facing delays. And, uh, you know, these are already such difficult processes. And to throw a pandemic on top of it um, and slowing down the process to become a parent even more has been very difficult for a lot of uh, gay men that I know
0: a similarity that I found between our stories is because it took us so long to get pregnant, it was a very much a choice, you know, throughout that five-year stretch for us to keep fighting instead Mm -hmm. of just deciding, I guess it's not in the cards for us, which we heard once or twice. It it kind of crushed me when people said that, but I feel like we opened up the door to surrogacy and adoption and, and all options before we found ourselves pregnant. And and I feel like similarly, as you've stated, for a lot of people in the LGBT community, it can be a fight, and it's something. There's a lot of choices you have to make, and it's yep. a. It's not something that just falls upon you. And I know for some people, it's like I just kept getting her pregnant, and it just <laughs> and they just fell into fatherhood, and they didn't yep. have the time to make those choices. It right, was just right. life circumstances just yep. kind of threw it on them. But I'm curious to know for someone who's gone through it and and made the choice and made a lot of choices with regards to your relationship with your kids, what advice do you have with people that are struggling with that journey right now and don't yet have those kids?
1: So, um, my advice is that it will happen if you want it to, and the patience is very much a virtue in in this world. Um, that's you know not not super comforting advice to someone that's been waiting years and years to make this happen. And there are you know I know instances of. Gay couples and, and single men that are interested in becoming fathers waiting four, five, six plus years to to try to make a, an adoption happen or uh, try to raise enough money so they can pursue surrogacy, which can, you know, averages like $160,000 for, you know, for a single child. So, the, you know, these are not easy ways to become parents. You know, gay, bi- and trans men also know that. And, you know, the, the and what we're trying to do at Gays with Kids is to both, provide resources to help people understand how they can become parents in this way and also educate people, the broader community, that there are these barriers that exist and that there are, there are ways to try to remove some of them and make it this whole process easier. Um, and hopefully, you know, one day that'll happen.
0: I think that's beautiful advice. Any final dad truth to leave us with today?
1: You know, I guess what I would want people to know about uh, gay, bi, and trans men that are uh, fathers is that you know I I say this a lot, but "whoops" is not a word you'll ever hear us say. (laughs) Like "whoops, I'm a dad," and so to understand the struggles that uh, that we go through, and and to know that because of those struggles, that no one is pursuing fatherhood as a gay, bi, and trans man that isn't gonna you know love the crap out out of that kid that comes at the end. So, gay, bi, and trans men are just as good of parents as as anyone else. They're you know, this is proven by research. It's proven in my personal experience and having met and interviewed and worked with literally hundreds of, uh, of queer men at this point who are dads and uh, and yeah it's, it's something that I think the more love the better and uh, that's definitely true in LGBTQ parenting
0: I think that's beautiful and it just goes to show that all you really need is love and that's love your child no matter who you are as an individual and, and what your your preferences are I think that if you raise a child with love then that's more than a lot of people get
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time, David. Of course. And hope to talk to you more as the podcast progresses and hear more about your experiences.
1: Absolutely, we love that.
0: Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it. And don't forget to do something. What is it that I wanted you to do? Take a moment and write a review. Until next time.
1: Ha <laughs>